You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. All right. Our text today comes from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 20. For those of you keeping track, we're in John 20, verse 24 through 29, where it says this, but Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of nails on his hand, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, ostensibly where Jesus was pierced with a spear. I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them. It's kind of like a ghost. Poof, he's there. And he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. All right, there's the text. I don't know about you, but I relate to Thomas in this story. We call him Doubting Thomas. I'm a natural skeptic, and I've become so more so (laughs) over the years, like so many of you, big surprise, right? I think Thomas would have agreed with the famous Carl Sagan quote. I'm sure some of you have heard this before. Extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. You say Christ is risen? Fine. Show me the goods, or I'm not going to believe it. This was Thomas's point of view. He was quite modern, you would say, quite modern for being someone uh, 2,000 years ago. He wanted what we call today empirical evidence. Empirical means Evidence from the five senses, sight, you know what the five senses are, sight, sound, smell, touch, taste, right? Thomas was the quintessential empiricist here. Only that which is detectable and measurable by the five senses, only that which is backed by empirical evidence is really real. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my hand in his side, he says, I will not believe. For a long time, this passage about doubting Thomas, as he's known, has been used by the church to describe this battle between faith and science or religion and science. Thomas represents, of course, reason and science and empiricism. Jesus in this story represents religion, faith, doctrine. 
The lesson, of course, being that religion and faith trump science and reason. And if one wants to be a true disciple of Christ, we're told one must choose faith over reason, ultimately, and religion over science. This is the way this story has often traditionally been interpreted in the church, specifically since the Enlightenment, right? It's important to know that this story is only found in John's gospel. It's not found in the synoptics, the three other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it makes sense why it's only found in John. John's gospel is, is uniquely preoccupied with one thing, proving the divinity of Christ. It's kind of obsessed with it. John's gospel is not just preoccupied with it, but with proving it, but doing so in order to convince others, the original audience of this gospel, early second century Christians, the goal is to motivate, encourage them to believe in the divinity of Christ too. So it makes sense why the risen Christ in John's gospel would say, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have come to believe. But I think this line subtly reveals something um, that many Christians would find troubling today. I think it reveals that we're, there were many back then who did not believe, many Christians back then perhaps even, I, we don't really know, that doubted like Thomas did, that did not really believe in the historical veracity of the resurrected, you know, the physical resurrection of Christ. We know this also from elsewhere in the scriptures, that there was a controversy in the early church over these matters, over the resurrection and the veracity or the historicity of it. You may remember the Apostle Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 15, how can some of you say Christ has not been raised? He says this to the church at Corinth. And this clearly indicates clearly indicates that there was a controversy, at least in the church at Corinth, and it was probably elsewhere as well. Some Christians clearly did not believe in the physical or, or historical resurrection of Christ, and so it's very likely that this is why the author of John's gospel has Jesus saying that here. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to, to believe. To be clear, most scholars, most New Testament scholars do not believe Jesus actually said this. We know that the gospel writers took liberty with the story of Jesus and put many words in his mouth for the sake of making their own points. That was, it wasn't seen as plagiarism or something or fraud, fraudulence back then to do so. They took liberty with these stories in ways that we would find dubious today or problematic, but back then it was, it was cool. So we know that the gospel writers put many words in Jesus's mouth for, for, the, for the point of making their own points or portraying Jesus in the way they thought was accurate, in the way that they thought he truly was. They did so in order to create what is called the Jesus tradition. And this story is a good example of that. And for that reason, I'm saying, today. You know, maybe don't take Jesus's words here so literally. And that's good news because 
I've got some problems <laughs> with Jesus's words here, with, with, with John's words that he puts in Jesus's mouth. I disagree with John's Jesus a bit here, but I also think we can understand his words differently than the church has traditionally understood them and, and thereby redeem them a bit and, and, and find some good in them. And I want to do both here this morning. I want to critique Jesus's words here, but also affirm them in a way, you know, walk that dialectic tightrope. The church has usually interpreted Jesus's words here to mean that people who have blind faith are blessed. This is the way the church usually, if you, most sermons that have preached on this will drive home this point, that in a way, people who have blind faith are blessed, people who can believe in things like the historicity of the resurrection and other key doctrines of the church that are based on supernatural claims that strain credulity. Yeah, that's the way to pronounce it. Um, such people are blessed because they're able, they're able to suspend their critical faculties. They're blessed because they're able to Repress cognitive dissonance, we would say. They're blessed because, unlike many others, believers don't question too much, right? And they just believe what the Bible says or what their pastors tell them to believe. Um, in other words, they're blessed because belief comes easy to them. But in my experience, the opposite is usually true. Cursed are those who engage in naive belief and blind faith. Cursed are those who set aside their rational faculties for the sake of wishful thinking. Cursed are those who choose dogma and religious doctrine over critical thinking and reason. Isn't this the very thing that so many of us needed to be liberated from? And isn't this why so many of us are here at a place like Central? As recovering fundamentalists or recovering evangelicals, isn't this what we're recovering from? Isn't such thinking exactly what we've had to deconstruct? So belief can be a curse, at least as much as a blessing. I'm reminded of an article I read a while back. The title of it was, Three Reasons Why Evangelicals Fall Prey to Conspiracy Theories. The article basically argued that because Christianity, and many other religions for that matter, don't want to just pick on our faith, uh, but because Christianity prioritizes divine revelation, it prioritizes divine revelation over and above more reliable forms of knowledge, like, say, science, it makes adherents, religious adherents, prone to believing all kinds of crazy things and conspiracy theories. Divine revelation, we're told, comes to us in the form of a sacred text like the Bible or the form of a pastor or a guru with special access to God who reveals the secret truths to us. This idea makes many religious folks believe that other vital information is only received and understood by a chosen few. This is like Gnosticism, right? Only those in the know can really know the truth. The, the, the chosen few alone. 
or privy to this. I think this explains why evangelicals today are uniquely susceptible to, to conspiracy theories, and I'll name a few. The 2020 election fraud conspiracy theory was a popular one on the religious right. The, the QAnon conspiracy theory, COVID-19 conspiracy theories, along with the anti-vax and the anti-mask conspiracy theories, climate change, we're told, is a hoax and is a conspiracy theory, right? We're, we're also told that there is a gay agenda today, right? A concerted effort by the LGBTQ community to destroy traditional marriage and, and Christianity too. Or there's a concerted effort, we're told today, a secret and concerted effort among colleges and universities to uh, undermine Western civilization and to destroy the church and traditional marriage and Judeo-Christian values and the entire Judeo-Christian worldview. There's a war on Christmas, we're told. Have you heard this one? Um, a concerted effort by the secular left media and corporations to end Christmas or to take Christ out of Christmas. The, the conspiracy theories go on and on. And I'm convinced that the reason why so many evangelicals are so susceptible to these conspiracy theories is because fundamentalism itself is a conspiracy theory that is predicated on, on doctrines like creationism. Think about it. Creationism is this idea that says the majority of scientists out there, the majority of the scientific community is repressing the hard data, repressing the evidence that the earth is really just 6,000 years old and evolution is, is a hoax. It's all a big sham. If you go to the Creation Museum in Kentucky, the Ark Encounter, you, you walk through the museum and it's basically what you learn is that the scientific community, the 95%, 99% of scientists are repressing the evidence that the earth is really just 6,000 years old and evolution, biological evolution is a hoax. Fundamentalism itself is, it doesn't function without these conspiracy theories. And so fundamentalism, conservative Christianity, we might call it as well, you know, it's like a computer virus. Once it gets into the system, into your mind, it, like malware, can open up a back door and allow in all kinds of other nefarious programs that eventually crash your hard drive, or in this case, your mind. It's a toxic way of thinking that infiltrates permeates the rest of your mind and your ability, it erodes your ability to think critically in general. And I should know, we should know. Many of us grew up that way and are still recovering and healing from it. Feels like we've been gaslit and lied to our whole lives. And we were. And so fundamentalism and conservative Christianity, you know, blind faith, naive belief that it opens you up to all kinds of things like conspiracy theories and leaves you open to being taken advantage of by charlatans and con artists who need that in place in order to take advantage of, of people. So that's why I say sometimes, cursed are those, cursed are those 
who engage in blind faith and naive belief. Belief can be a curse as much of a, a blessing. And so I want to pivot now, and I'm kind of done with my critique of Jesus, <laughs> Jesus's words here in John, and now I want to affirm something about it. Because I think there is something good and healthy and enriching about believing that there are aspects of life and reality that transcend the five senses or scientific verification. For me, the, the solution to religious fundamentalism and its tenets of naive belief and blind faith is, is not empiricism or reductive materialism, which is just another kind of fundamentalism, albeit an atheistic kind. Empiricism and reductive materialism say that, the, that only the physical world that our five senses can tell us about is real. Everything else is unreal and relegated to the categories of superstition, the paranormal, the imaginal, etc. And I think that point of view is as incorrect as naive belief and blind faith. Think of love itself. What, what is the experience of love? But a subjective inner experience that cannot be seen, heard, smelled, touched, or tasted, but is still very real and maybe one of the most important things about life and being. The fact is we all have subjective experiences every day that have no identifiable cause or predictable reasons. That's just part of what it means to be, to be human, to be conscious, to be alive in this crazy world. And yet these experiences are very real and they constitute a very real form of knowledge. That They enrich the human experience. And so I like to read Jesus's words here to mean, blessed are those who can perceive a world far more complex and wonderful than what their five senses alone can tell them. Blessed are those who are open to the unknown. Blessed are those who are open to the ineffable, the esoteric, the paranormal, the transcendent. Blessed are those who make room for and celebrate mystery and unknowing. Blessed are they who know life is weird. Consciousness, mind, it's weird stuff. Blessed are those who know life is weird and full of surprises and experiences that are inexplicable. Blessed are they who are truly open in these ways, who are open to being surprised, who are open to an event with a capital E, an event in the truest sense of the term. An event is something that you didn't see coming. You don't know what it is, but it's, it's visited upon you. It happens to you. Blessed are they who are open to an event, to being surprised, to being upended, to being confounded and perplexed. Because life is weird. Reality is weird. We don't have it figured out. We don't know what minds are. We don't even know what bodies are, actually. What are bodies? What is this thing that I navigate space-time with? 
We don't know. We don't know. No. Maybe faith can be understood as a kind of openness to, a, to these things, an openness, a, a yes, a profound yes to life in all of its splendor and weirdness. This too is a kind of faith. I've come to think of faith in my post-evangelical deconstruction. I've come to think of faith as less of a list of things you believe in, less of a credo, less of a creed, a list of doctrines you emote certainty in, and more as a kind of openness, an openness to a world full of limitless novelty, limitless strangeness and mystery and wonder. I have become increasingly convinced that there are aspects of reality that will only reveal themselves to us if we are open in these ways. This too is a kind of faith, just openness, openness. The fact is that we see less than 5%, we see less than 5% of the light spectrum or the EM band. That means 95% of what's going on around us, we cannot see. Physicists now tell us that we live in a universe probably of at least 10 dimensions. We can only perceive four, three dimensions of space, one dimension of time. That means that most of us, most of what's going on around us is beyond, transcends what our five senses can detect and measure, even with advanced technologies and scientific instruments, which are just prosthetics, extensions of our five senses. And yet perhaps sometimes our consciousness, our minds, which we don't really understand, I think sometimes our consciousness, our what some call our sixth sense, if you will, picks up on these other levels of reality, like a, like a radio that can pick up faint and distant signals if the weather is just right or if you tune the dial just right. I used to have a CB radio back when I was in high school and was a CB radio nerd. I would, certain nights, it would always be at night, certain nights when the weather was just right, I could pick up faint signals from vast distances like Nome, Alaska, and I lived in Chicago, to pick up faint signals. That's kind of what I think consciousness is like sometimes. I, I think, I suspect this is true of us, and it opens up a world of possibilities with great spiritual import. I think being open in the ways I'm describing leads us to a place whereby we realize that we are connected connected to everything and everyone in ways we cannot fully understand. We are connected on a cosmological level to nature and the, and, and the universe around us, I think. This is not just true once you dive deeper into physics, but I think it's true metaphysically. And I think there is something inherently mystical and spiritual about this fact that we are connected to everything. I think there's something inherently meaningful, profound. It's what the mystics since the ancient days, 
were harping on this sense, this they intuitively knew, even before modern science, they intuitively knew that everything is connected. Everything is really one thing. And we should think of the universe less as a kind of physical system, perhaps, and more of like a grand thought. Again, I think there's something inherently mystical and spiritual about all that. And yeah, that's that's that goes beyond the five senses. That that's not grounded so much in empiricism. It goes beyond. It's based on intuition, you might say. And I think such ways of thinking constitute a kind of faith, a way of believing in things you cannot see with the physical eye, but with the inner eye, or what some traditions like Hinduism and Buddhism call the third eye. This too is a kind of faith. Let's pivot now into receiving the Lord's Supper. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread. And after breaking it, he said, take, eat, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And after blessing it, he said, take, drink, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Here we find in this most holy of Christian sacraments, this message of oneness and our connection with the divine. We receive holy communion into our bodies as a statement of faith that we and God are one. How profound is that? And it's not just us and God that are one in this sacrament, but we take it together. It's called communion. We take it as a community. And we serve each other as a way of saying, I am one with you, and we are one with God, and we are all one together. That, for me, is the deeper beauty of this sacrament and why we practice it here every week in Central. And the way we do that is you take one of these gluten-free crackers, and you dip it in the grape juice, and you receive it, and then you serve the person next to you. This table is open to all who wish to come to it regardless of faith or tradition. Be blessed now, please. Each episode of The Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion. after my talk. <laughs> this pairs so well. Tell me you'll open up your eyes. That was not intentional. Um, very cool. All right. So if you're new here at Central, uh, we have a little discussion. Usually there's a discussion uh, at the end of the service about what I talked about, the topic or the, the issues that I raised. And anything goes. You can disagree, comment, raise a question. Or we can talk about the Supreme Court decisions this week. If you want to lament, you want to vent, all that works too. Anything goes. But yeah, um, anybody have anything they want to say?
talk about uh, you know your journey from naive belief to where you're at now. What? What's that? Our faith in Christian conspiracy theories? What? Sorry. Our favorite Christian conspiracy theory? Yeah, of course we want to hear that. Uh, Jason, uh, you want to share one? Okay, good. <laughs> I assume so. Christian conspiracy theories are a pet favorite topic of mine. I like um, the flat earth one is one of my favorites. Yeah, I was reading an article yesterday about how a flat earth group paid 20 grand to buy like a laser gyroscope thing uh, to prove that the earth is like this thing that what happened? Oh, like a gyroscope. It's like a thing that the that sailors or navigators use to like navigate the globe, okay. right? So they bought one to because it can track the rotation of the Earth. So like the Earth rotates fifteen degrees every hour, and so they pay. They bought one. They paid all pitched in, paid twenty grand to buy this thing to prove that it doesn't work. That that there's no rotation, and then they found out that there is rotation. So rather than being like, well, I guess we're wrong, they uh, they tried to figure out how to uh, break it. So they they figured it must be tracking the rotation of the heavens because it's not the Earth that's rotating, but maybe the heavens are rotating. So sure. they put it in. Uh, forget the first thing they put it they put it like inside of something like a tube and sealed it up so that it couldn't see the heavens uh, but it still had a 15 degree spin when they pulled it out so then they decide let's put it in like barium or some kind of like deep metal or something i love how much you read about this but <laughs> oh, it's a hobby of mine so they tried that and that didn't work and then finally they like got together and this one guy is like, well, we pay, we're like 20 grand deep into this. What are we going to do? And the other guy is like, yeah, we can't tell anybody about this. We got to, what are we going to, I don't know what to do. Because the belief in their Bible-based conspiracy theory trumps actual physical evidence. Yeah, that's anyway, a good one. That's one of my favorite. It's astonishing that that one's made a comeback, the whole flat earth stuff but it's and it's driven by essentially social media and youtube and you know people's inability to decipher what a credible source is it's i think that's really what underlies a lot of this as well it's they believe they yeah they get it from like ken ham type people you right know, like right people who want to say the bible says there's a heaven and yeah all this and they don't believe you know it's stupid it's yeah blind it's idiocy but whatever i mean right they even have conferences about it i'd love to go somewhere. it would be a trip that's that's for sure yeah well thank you thank you for that it's a fun little jog um somebody else share your favorite christian conspiracy theory <laughs> or anything or what what faith means to you now? And I shared what faith means to me. What does faith mean to you now? What do you have faith in, so to speak?
Yeah, Marsha. Something bigger. Yeah. Something that you can't imagine that encompasses even multiple universes. And, and it sounds like you're saying you feel connected to that something bigger. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that's wonderful. I think that's inherently meaningful. Gives us a sense of, gives you a sense of meaning, I feel like. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, Emily. Um, hey, Jason, would you mind? Here, you pass it to me or I'll give it to Emily. Or Max, yeah, thanks. Um, I think that the thought that I had today was, isn't it almost like going against God's creation of humans um, to believe in one book for two over 2000 years? Yeah. Like, that's basically saying we have limits, like, and our limits are to only pay attention to the writings of the people who were there. Um, and when it was first written, when we know that like technology happened and there's proof of, you know, dinosaurs or, you know, it's just, I just feel like that somehow makes us against like believing because if you, if we only know 5% or what, what was it? We only see 5% of yeah. like how how does that say we're on the right track if we're just looking at one book and going yep this is this is it forever it sounds like you're saying there's something antithetical to being human if we think that narrowly and you know this i yeah i agree that you know fundamentalism religious conservatism of any stripe is a very small god it believes in a very small god and uh it, it certainly puts limits on you know us. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Marsha. Hmm. Okay. So Marsha is saying that she believes in the Ten Commandments and the moral code therein, and that we might not have been moral people without it. Is that what you're saying? It helps. Okay, it helps. Yeah. Somebody else today. Thoughts to Tony on Zoom. Um, I don't want to derail what's being talked about right uh, now, but um, an emotional, um, an emotional hope or an emotional. Um, uh, to me it's it's a feeling it's a it's a it's a response to you know to an event even if that event is being out of nature and seeing the trees right it's this awe right uh i think it is to me it instills a sense of faith in kind of marshall i guess that there is something bigger than me right um or it's it's this it's this um this response to doubting the negative aspects of life or the negative events that i'm currently in right it's it's this sense it's this sense of hope that 
I, I can make it out alive or, or that, you know, things will get better, right? Um, so I think that's what faith is to me. And in all that, you can include a higher power, a higher being, or, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Cool. Thank you. Somebody else? Aaron, Tony wanted... Someone online? Good morning, everyone. Uh, sorry, I didn't want to derail what was already being talked about, but I did want to just make a comment or observation about the ruling. Um, it just makes me think even more deeply about what actually is, uh, you know, the, the picking and choosing about what is a sin and what is, you know, uh, so it just makes me think, you know, okay, well, if we're going to deny these people rights, why don't we, you know, why aren't they pushing so hard to um, abolish the aiding of things that creepeth on the land, you know, like, you know, why are they not shutting down all the farms with uh, raising animals for food and, um, you know, eating, you know, basically eating animals? I mean, it's, that's. Yeah, you're talking about the, uh, the law code in the Old Testament that prohibited eating certain animals that were unkosher. Right. And maybe yeah. maybe I don't uh, have all of the information, but it's just, you know, I feel like isn't that right in the same list of rules? Yes. Leviticus that, yeah, we like, talked about that last week. You're right, Tony. Yeah. So it's just I find it just kind of ridiculous. It, it just seems like these uh, very uh, strict old fashioned rules. It's like all about torturing things. It's like, you know, let's torture the homosexuals let's torture all the animals and i'm not vegan but i do understand a few vegan principles you know i, I want to have compassion for the animals but anyway just wanted to uh participate thank you guys so much yeah sure tony thanks for thanks for being there um you know it, it kind of raises a question for me and i'm curious what you all think how much do you think the supreme court's decisions this week were influenced by either their personal faith, their personal Christian faith, or their desire to please people from a particular Christian faith. Max, did you, did you raise your hand? Yeah. So I'm going to go more cynical than that. Okay. C connecting to what I've, a couple of comments have been said, and I think you covered too. I don't think it's because of their faith. I think their faith comes out of their desire for power and being in authority um, and not the other way around. So I think it's a way to use faith or religion or Christianity to wield and maintain power, right? So it's like, <clears throat> it's al almost every single current event and issue in America can be drawn back to power dynamics, right? So it's like taking away the right to vote so they can stay in power take, uh, you know, wanting to keep young people from voting, suppress the youth vote so they can stay in power because young people tend to vote more progressive. Uh, black people, right? African-American minorities, immigrant uh, cultures tend to, right? Not, not, not a hundred percent, not trying to paint too broadly here, but tend to be much more progressive than, than the, the conservatives on the Supreme Court. So, the more power you take away from them, the more secure their own power is. So it's the same with, right, using archaic Christian. All those people went to Ivy League schools. Like, 
they, as much as we want to paint them as ignorant or stupid or whatever you feel like you usually want to use to explain that those sorts of decisions, they're not. Um, they know exactly what they're doing. They know uh, intellectually could agree with everything you've said, right? <laughs> like, but they are making a choice to use faith as a weapon, right? Use Christianity as a weapon um, to take away the rights of of folks that will help them maintain their own power. Yeah. Good stuff. Interesting. Other other thoughts about about that? What? I think the topic for me is so as large as universes that it's hard to pinpoint answers for what you're trying to say. One thing that I feel very comfortable admitting is that because of faith and the way I perceive it, my own maybe helpful interpretations or ones guided by you have made me more optimistic. So I think faith allows us to feel the universe can be kind and can overcome things that can happen because reality is tough many times. Okay, yeah, thanks. Kind of bouncing back between subjects here. Yeah, Marsha, would you pass the mic to Ann? Um, kind of bouncing off of what Marsha just said, you know, I can get very um, morose about the state of our, our society right now. And see, you know, I see the um, the deep hypocrisy of it in the church, for one thing. I mean, my my mother was divorced at a very young age, and then later married my dad, and they couldn't be married in the church that they grew up in because they didn't believe that if you were divorced, you could ever remarry. So they had to go to another church, and you know, that was a very deeply held belief at that time. And that same denomination would not hold that line anymore today, but their new, their new line, because it's that, that battle has been lost is, you know, gay rights or LGBTQ rights. Um, and so as, as depressing as it is, and I think it is a power of a, a control dynamic, um, I've, you know, I've been reading certain things and hearing certain voices that are like really reminding me that I feel like this is a, um, a revival in a sense, like this is, this is the, the reason that there's so much pushback is because things are going to change. And it's slow. Things are changing, and Things that's yeah. are changing. And it's it's slow, and it's painful, and you know it's sad that um, the church is what holds back change more than any other part of our society, probably at this point. But that that there is change happening, and and one day, hopefully, in the not too distant future, but one day 
the church will look back and go, remember when we didn't let people who were divorced preach? Remember when we didn't let people who were queer do such and such? Like that it will change. Yeah. No, I, I share your optimism some days. <laughs> Not every day. Uh, Not and other days, day. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's this resurgence of fascism globally is really happening. I mean, not just in Russia, but you look at what's going on here in the United States even. And, you know, it's my, I am just like you, Anne, I, I feel like I'm a natural optimist and I'm hopeful. So I'm not like despairing, but I'm also like, I never thought I, I, I really didn't think the last, let's put it like this way, without naming certain politicians here. I never thought the last six years would have looked like the way they look like. And and the decisions made in the Supreme Court, I'm taking a I'm constantly being surprised in negative ways. And and so I'm trying to remain cautiously optimistic. But you know, yeah. I don't want to get too bummed out here at the end. <laughs> hey Aaron, it's Tequila. Hey Tequila. How are you? I'm good. Welcome. Thanks. Um, I have a couple comments. I'll try to be as brief as possible here. I think, you know, getting back to the reading about the doubting Thomas thing, <clears throat> I have a friend who said this and it actually helps me a lot. But one of the things she says is that if if you be, if you believe something or <clears throat> or if um you know something to be true, you should be able it should stand up to scrutiny. Like you should be able to answer any questions. <clears throat> about it or be willing to entertain discussions to have those questions answered. Like questions aren't a threat. They are a way to, um, you know, to, to, to get more information, which is something I actually um, have encountered a lot in my job. Like people often think, we even had a training once and someone was like, well, what do you do when you're trying to make a change or something? And people keep asking questions. Like that's a negative thing. And it's not a negative thing to ask to ask or answer questions because people are curious and they want to know. And so I think even with the uh thinking of the doubting Tom, like you said, the doubting Thomas story, um, reframing it so that it's a sign of belief or an interest in believing that he would say, but I want to know for sure that this is what we're talking about. And how do you know? Like these are just questions that can be answered. Um and I think the same thing holds true with, um, you know, we were talking about the Supreme Court and talking about all these different things. And one of the things that I do take comfort in, even though it is um, sometimes it's a little bit of cold comfort, but it was the same thing like when the COVID-19, like the anti-maskers and all that, like that stuff has happened before. Like it's just like, this is how people respond to things. And so having um, a knowledge of the history and the way things work and human behavior, even though it's frustrating and infuriating, it at least is like, okay, so it's not just like people are wacky coming out of the woodworks and this is new stuff. It's like, this is how human behavior kind of works and how people belong to things. Um, same thing with, like you mentioned, the fascism. It's like, oh my gosh, but it's like, yeah, this is a global, like, it's not just happening right here. This is something that's happening everywhere. And there have been studies about how 
um, how these movements progress or regress or how even every time gains are made, there's always pushback. So things regress a little bit and then they get better. Like it's just, for me, those things don't fight against my faith that things will be better. They actually help me <laughs> see that, you know, things can get better, but it's there is going to be some struggle with it and that's fine. You know, so it's just... Um, and that doesn't mean it's comfortable or it's easy, but it just, to me, always gives um, a little bit more, a little bit more faith. And then I also, the church, um, the denomination I belonged to before I came here, they had this saying, um, don't put a period where God has put a comma, like God is still speaking. That was their whole thing. God is still speaking. Don't put a period where God has put a comma, um, which I found very helpful um, and thinking about, first of all, how I already thought about things, but like also knowing that there are faith communities who believe the same thing. So again, like, you know, finding the people who are open to asking questions, to having them answered, saying that things are, you know, these things aren't easy um, and they shouldn't be. So I guess that's it. That was really good. Amen. Well, with that, let's... Uh... Let's conclude our time together by saying our joint benediction. It's all good. <laughs> I should have it memorized and I don't. <laughs> Wait for it. There it is. Okay, let's say this together now. As we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world, and each other. Thanks for being everybody. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.